0: Hello and welcome to Beauty Island, the award-nominated beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I am your host, Melbourne-based beauty journalist, Brittany Stewart. If you are new here, or maybe you just need a little recap, each episode I sit down with a guest and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them, the ones they take to a desert island, aka Beauty Island, that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the first beauty product they ever bought, the one that gives them their signature look, or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. Today, my guest is multiple beauty brand founder and managing director, Alison Goodyear. Ever heard of a little, alright, very big brand called Sukin? spearheading the natural skincare space, Alison was the co-founder, building the brand up to become Australia's number one selling natural skincare brand. Now, back along with her brother, she's birthed a new beauty brand called Alcura. We talked about what it's like launching a new brand amidst a global pandemic, how a skateboarding accident as a child gave her a rude crash into the beauty industry, the natural deodorant she swears by, And she also reflects on a particularly pivotal time in her life where she sold her business, had her third child and was diagnosed with breast cancer in the space of just a few months. If you enjoy this episode, please rate 5 stars and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify. You can also recommend to a friend or many friends or strangers by sharing a screenshot of this podcast on your Instagram story, Don't forget to tag at Beauty Island Podcast so I can see. As an independent podcaster, those things really help make a difference to help more people to discover the podcast, which means I can keep making it for you. Now over to Alison. Enjoy. Alison, welcome to Beauty Island. I am very excited to be chatting all things beauty and business with you today. Thank you for having me. I suppose a good place to start is, I suppose, where the passion or interest in beauty really started from. Can you remember your first memory of beauty? So my first
1: beauty memory, I guess, really didn't involve product or experimenting with product so much. It was more about the awareness of my appearance and that turning point. So I guess this is a really random response to that. But I um I grew up with brothers, and so they were mad BMX riders and skateboarders, and I would try and keep up. And it was probably I'm I'm guessing it was a Saturday because my parents were hosting a dinner party, and I would have been around twelve or thirteen at the time. And as per usual we were all out on the street hanging with my brothers and the hordes of kids that lived on the street because i had we had loads of kids on in our neighbourhood and it was a fun neighbourhood to grow up in we we'd go out and we'd play cricket we'd kick footies we rode bikes and so You know, we're out there until the streetlights came on, and when they came on, we knew it was time to go home for food. But we had this really steep hill that we would race our bikes down, and so that afternoon we were in teams and we were racing. And I guess I've always had a competitive streak, and so we were racing down the hill, and I lost control of the bike and it started to wobble, and I sort of fell off face first, and I scraped my face along the asphalt. I broke and lost all of my front teeth, and I was knocked out. So, needless to say, my parents' their dinner party was cancelled, <laughs> and I was and I was left with blood and scabs and scars all over my face, and the recovery was long. You know, in fact, I still have to revisit issues with my two front teeth that were knocked out, and what we're now 30 years later. So episode I think that was a turning point for me it was when I sort of transitioned from being that tomboy to being a girl who all of a sudden just became aware of what it meant to preserve my face mind you I wasn't allowed to ride a bike anymore anyway so that was that was (laughs) off the cards but you know I was 13 and I was impressionable and I didn't like having a face full of scars my teeth were crooked and wobbly and you know it just took a long time to recover and when I did recover on came the braces and the night guards and the mouth place and I would have these rubber bands that stretch from the top of my mouth to the bottom and it was just a long journey to recover from that accident so I guess when you asked me what my first beauty related memory was it was more around beauty awareness and the impact that that had on me and the importance it was for me to feel good in my skin if that makes sense so There you go. That was probably my first beauty-related incident um memory. And I after after the accident, I was also introduced to things like vitamin C oil. And I had to start wearing lip balm a lot as well for when you know we had those braces put on because my my lips would always chap. So it was more about awareness, beauty awareness for me.
0: So definitely, I suppose, a more kind of functional introduction to beauty in a way, in terms of the maybe more of the restaurant restorative and kind of treatment side of things but I do know Mm. that you did uh you were aware of some products in terms of the ones that your mum and your nan both your nans I think (coughs) were using as you were growing up we've got the oil of yulan which is like a cult product and some glamorous glass bottles from your from your nan, nan from your other side tell me about those
1: Well it's so funny because it was a cult product at the time so my mum you know she presents well she gets a blow dry every you know twice every week but she's never really been somebody that had cupboards full of product when I that I could experiment with when I was younger but the one staple that she had and that used daily was that moisturising lotion and at the time it was called Oil of Ulan, but I think they've now rebranded it to Oil of Olay but it was in this sort of baby pink packaging and I'm pretty sure the lotion was pink at the time as well and it had this really distinctive sort of powdery scent and so both my mum and my nan would use that and it mustn't have been expensive because they would let me use it quite liberally. Um, So that's just what I remember growing up that was always in their bathroom cabinet. My other grandmother was probably just maybe a little bit more glamorous in that she had this most magnificent but very cold Victorian home and in her bedroom was this beautiful dressing bureau and on that were these gorgeous and intricately cut sort of glass bottles which contained perfumes and creams and I just remember looking at them so lovingly every time I went there so she had this glass jar and you would dip your finger into it and it was like this really thick wonderful smelling body cream which was just really rich in perfume and it was just a treat to be shown it and she also had a um like a glass well what I would call vintage but it probably wasn't vintage at the time but a vintage sort of perfume bottle atomizer it was one of those ones where it had a cord and at the base of the cord was a ball and you would squeeze the ball and it would dispense perfume and it was just so glamorous and then my favorite of all of the um, products that she had was a her talcum powder which was a tub that had this sort of creamy fluffy powdery puff that would sit on top and you would dip the talc in, and then you'd pat yourself and you'd just be immersed in this cloud of you know sweet smelling powder and you know it was probably causing all sorts of respiratory problems but ignorance was bliss <laughs> in that moment <laughs> it was just so decadent so I loved her dressing table and, in, and I mean in saying that it was completely off limits I was never allowed to just go in there on my own but when when she did show me her things I would love it.
0: I love that there is something particularly beautiful. Obviously, perfume bottles have maybe become a bit more modern and streamlined, but that as you were describing, you know, those ones with the the puffy ball at the end that you would squeeze, there's something special about <sighs> that.
1: It is. It's just the whole performance and the art of applying. It was just really fabulous. And I wish there would be a brand that would bring that you know, those intricate, beautiful glass bottles back in because I think bathrooms would look amazing with them. Oh, I'm not going to do it, but someone else can
0: do it. That's a great <laughs> idea for somebody there.
1: <laughs> there we go. There you
0: go. I'll buy it. I'll be your
1: first customer.
0: <laughs> now, I feel like it's particularly the teenage years where we start to get a bit more playful and experimental with makeup. So if we were to look through pictures of you in kind of your, your mid to late teens and early 20s, mm-hmm. what kind of beauty looks would we see you sporting?
1: Well, so sadly, my late teens were spent in the late 80s. So there were a lot of really tragic choices at that time, um Oh, look, I probably had all sorts of electric blue coloured eyeshadows on with crazy poppy lipstick. But probably my worst thing that I did was I I went through this phase of wearing a mousse that gave my hair a wet look. And I would rock this look whenever we would go out to parties. And it was sort of to give you a visual. I was looking like I had just stepped out of the shower and I hadn't brushed my hair look. It was just awful. I think I was trying to go a bit grunge or edgy. I'm not quite sure what was happening. But I remember I overheard one of my boyfriends say to, um, sorry, not one of my boyfriends, one of my friend's boyfriends say to her, why does Alison always have wet hair when we go out? It just looks awful. And it was like one of those moments where it was like the penny dropped and I realised that perhaps that's where it was all going wrong. That's why I was still single because I was just repelling the boys with my <laughs> wet moose look. <laughs> it was really bad. But that was, that was the 80s. It was just a very unattractive era so there wasn't a lot there wasn't a lot of beauty in my opinion in that era (laughs) (laughs) and I certainly wasn't rocking any beauty in that era but it was in my um in my uh, probably my early 20s is when I discovered um rosehip oil as a beauty product and I think that's when rosehip oil first entered the Australian market Um, And I've been using rosehip oil and or facial oils ever since that. So that was sort of a discovery for me in that sort of those early years in terms of beauty products that was actually a win.
0: And growing up, what did you think you would end up doing? What kind of did your career or your future look like? What did you think you would be?
1: I didn't particularly have a vision of what I, I, I certainly didn't imagine myself working in beauty. Beauty is something that I fell into. Um, for me, after I finished school and university, I went traveling and I I, I left when I was, well, actually I, I left before I went to university, but I I left Australia when I was 21 and I I think I had about $3,000 in my account and I was gone for four years. So it was just one of those adventures that you go on and you sort of, you know, travel and work and, you know, save up for the next adventure. And I sort of spent that period sort of finding out what I wanted to do. And I guess um, the proce- in, in the process of that, I realised through that experience that, you know, I was independent and I loved the uncomfortable feeling of landing in a foreign place and hitting the ground running. And so I guess that sort of set the path for doing my own things later on so I never really had a a long-term vision of exactly the career that I wanted to be in but I knew I needed something that gave me freedom.
0: Yeah absolutely and of course uh, Sukin was the first of the the things that you created for yourself with your brother Simon in 2007 I think. Mm -hmm. What sparked that first idea?
1: Okay so as I said the beauty industry It certainly was something that I fell into. So how it all happened was my dad had a distribution company where he would sell all manner of front of house products into pharmacies. So products such as beauty bags and cough and cold syrups, budget cosmetics, nail polish and so on, anything that you find at the front of the pharmacy. Um, And I would spend quite a bit of time at his work growing up and there was always a new brand to discover and experience. It was just a great place to be and He had this budget cosmetic brand, I think that he brought out from the UK called Constance Carroll. So there were always boxes and trays of, eyeshadows and lipsticks and nail polish and I'd rifle through them and take them home and it was was like a kid in a candy store. It was a great place to visit. But one of the brands that he took on, which I mentioned before, was a rosehip oil brand and he did really well with gaining distribution. However, one day he lost the distribution rights for that brand because they took the sales in-house and whatever they did and and it was around that time that he decided to create his own rosehip oil brand and it was called Renew Skin Care and so this is before Sukin. So I had just had my first baby at that time so I came on part-time with him to help him with branding and to help him with the administration of pulling components together for that brand and it was a great brand. We, we, we worked on that for a couple of years quite successfully so we would have this counter pack and on the counter pack there would sit 12 moisturising creams and 12 rosy rosy-poil, um, oils. and you would buy as a customer you would buy a moisturising cream and you would get the rosy pour for free and both of those were 1995 I think it was so it was a great combo it offered great value for money and it sat on the counter so it was one of those sort of purchases that you made at the last at the last minute but it was around to answer your question about skincare. it was around this time back in would have been 2007 where the health and wellness industry was still in its infancy, but it was gaining momentum. And what we saw in the pharmacy space was that there were a lot of customers willing to convert to natural skincare products, but they just weren't being offered a lot of choice in particular in that pharmacy space. So there were products that sat more in the organic um, skincare realm that you would buy like a little 60 ml jar of moisturizing cream, but it'd be $50 plus. It was just a very, very expensive proposition. And on the flip side, there were other products that were positioned in naturals that just weren't, they didn't look good, they didn't feel, they didn't feel good, they didn't smell nice. So there was a very obvious opportunity and a gap that we saw that needed filling. Um, In around that time comes my brother Simon. Simon had just finished uni and we got talking over the dinner table one night about what we saw was an opportunity that needed to be filled. And we decided to get to work and create this new brand and then you Know along came Sukin, and you know it, it was an interesting journey. So, at the start of Sukin, the natural category didn't exist, so we effectively had to create it and we had to convince buyers and retailers why they should take on this unknown natural brand and make room for us on their shelf. Um, likewise, we also had to work to educate the end customer and make them aware of what natural meant. So, on our labels, and they still have them on their labels today, but they've got um a no list so it shows no parabens, no sulfates, no synthetic fragrances and so on. But at the time that was a new concept and so a customer would pick it up and they'd say, okay, it doesn't contain a paraben but what does that mean and why is that a good thing that it doesn't contain parabens? So they would then go off and and educate themselves on that. So really Sukin for us was a brand that was created around really what wasn't in the products and that's how we developed that category.
0: And it's so interesting to think that, particularly like you said, when Sukin was starting, the natural beauty kind of category was in its infancy and you think about how much more educated uh, many beauty lovers and users are now when it comes to ingredients, but you really had to be doing all that education from the start with Sukin
1: um mm, that's right yeah it was definitely a challenge but it was a fun challenge you know it was it was such a fabulous journey so we took sukin from concept to australia's number one selling natural skincare brand and that took us six years to do so we were outselling some of the major multinational mass brands so it, it just shows that there were customers that were so hungry to convert to natural at the time but no one was really giving them that offering so now obviously the market's quite saturated but that's a good thing I think you know the more natural brands the better because in my opinion when you have a natural a brand it's usually backed by a business that has some ethical positioning and value propositions that they stand behind as well so they tend to be cruelty free and they tend to be vegan they tend to use sustainable packaging and, and, and the list goes on so I'm all for a saturated natural market I think it's I think it's a fabulous thing.
0: What is the, if there is a particular product that you um, ideated and created at your time at Sukin, what's the one that you're most proud of or the one that you love the most? I love a
1: facial oil. I've always been a lover of a facial oil. So we had a rosehip oil within the Sukin range. Now um, now we've come sort of full circle um, with a new brand that we've launched um, called Alkira and we've got two facial oils that sit within that brand so I religiously use facial oils every single night and you can get ones uh, uh, facial oils that are standard um, one ingredient like a rosehip oil or you can use combination oils I tend to gravitate towards the combination oils because they just have a, a greater um, profile when it comes to antioxidants and essential fatty acids and vitamins you can get a real mix of, of different sort of plant-based and nut oils that you can um, have with those but you know a facial is typically rich in vitamins and nutrients and they just they just pack a really powerful punch when it comes to hydration and so I always swap them out for what I would typically what people would typically use as a night cream so I tend to use them at night every night and then I always feel like I just wake up with really hydrated plump skin so I, I love a facial oil I've seen them from the roof rooftops
0: no, I agree. I always think that particularly facial oils are one of those products that, if you're an impatient person who wants to see results fast, facial oils are one of those products yes. that you know after a few uses you can really start to see the difference it's making in your skin.
1: Yes. Yeah, agreed. I think they, I think they're wonderful.
0: The third product on your list, before we leave young Alison aside, is one of the first beauty products that you remember buying yourself, which is the Body Shop White Musk Oil Scent. Tell me about your memories around this product. Uh-huh
1: so one of my best friends used to have a part-time job at the body shop, which was the beauty go-to destination in the late 80s. And she would work there on the weekends and I would visit most Saturday afternoons and we would just slather on creams and their wonderful body butters and perfumes. And as a girl, the body shop was a beautiful destination and a great um, store to visit because there were no other beauty destinations back then. That was sort of the the one place where you could go and it would just have this sort of visual and sensory delight, sensory delight. Um, so, she would get staff discounts, which of course were always extended to me because you know that's the kind of friends friend that we were. So we would just sort of buy an enormous amount of product on that Saturday and go back to her house and just rifle through our bag of goodies. But there was always I always had, there I would always gravitate back towards the white musk, and they were these little um oil perfumes. I don't even know. I haven't I haven't been to the body shop for ages. I don't even know if it still exists. But they were. Um, It was called White Musk Oil Perfume and I think they were around a 30ml size in this frosted sort of glass bottle um, and it had a little applicator in there and it was just this really sort of smoky powdery scent that I used to bathe in. I don't know if I would wear it now, but I loved it at the time. It was my signature fragrance.
0: (laughs) I love it. On rotation, (laughs) yes. Now, building up, Sukin. What was the milestone mm-hmm. that made you think this is something or we've made it? Was there a particular moment that you remember feeling that, oh. that shift?
1: There were a few, there, you know what, there are a few moments that come to mind with Sukin. Sukin was an extraordinary journey. So um, probably the first one that I can remember is that we um, we were watching our first container full of products being collected to be shipped overseas and that's when we both sort of thought oh we've truly become a global brand and I remember high-fiving my brother in the car parking lot as it was being driven the container was being driven away so that was a great moment that was one of those great first moments. One of the other high-five moments for me was when I saw the sales data for the very first time showing that Sikkim was the number one brand in the market because it actually it you know it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of of grit to get to that point because the skincare industry is an incredibly competitive industry and the market entry barriers are low. So there are a constant revolving door of new new brands on the market. So you've always got to just work and there's a lot of grassroots marketing and sales that comes into play when you're building a, a brand within that market. Um so that would be it. and you know what and, and probably now you know in terms of proud moments of my career it's for me it's now launching Alkira and that's been a great moment for me because it's come off the back of a lot of um a lot of uncertainty in my life you know I I had cancer a couple of years ago and I didn't know if I had a long-term you know I didn't know if I was still going to be here so it's good to be back in the beauty industry again because I love it it's dynamic it's, it, it's interesting but I'm just glad to be back with you know a business and a and a brand that has something that gives me a long-term proposition a, you know a project something to look forward to so you know there are always sort of you know different highlights that happen in your career and they're probably three for me.
0: And as you mentioned there I think you had actually only recently had your third daughter Eloise she was only uh, a month old or a few weeks old, when you found out that you you were diagnosed mm. with breast cancer, I can't even begin to imagine how that must have felt. So many big life things happening all at the same <laughs> time.
1: Yes, it was it was a crazy period because we had just sold Sukin, so we sold Sukin, and then I was contracted in to do a twelve month handover with the new business, and so I had just finished up that contract. And then two months later I had Aloise and then obviously a month later I had breast cancer. So it was just this roller coaster of crazy big life events happening at the one time. And and you know, certainly cancer came out of nowhere. You know, all of a sudden I was confronted with a journey that I would never have imagined. I never led I never led a particularly toxic life. So cancer was one of those, Ah, uh, excuse me that you can't seriously be talking about me. so it was tough mentally physically throw a newborn into the mix, and it was just a period of my life that's just not going to make the highlight real. It was just not it just wasn't great. But anyway, I'm through it now. and um you know, thankfully, we caught it early enough, you know, and I've had lots of surgery since then, and now i um <clears throat> i'm I'm in remission and I get to just sort of, you know, you always have the cloud of cancer that sits firmly on your shoulder, but I um. I've just made a decision. I just need to move on.
0: And I wonder if if you feel comfortable talking about it, particularly when you've got be- becoming a mother mm, sure. and then also having cancer are both things that really kind of affect how we look and feel about ourselves. Did that kind of time influence or change the way that you viewed, viewed beauty in, in any way?
1: So much. I don't know. I, I think the shift for me was more about internal health, more than it was the external health because I've always been pretty good at looking after my skin just because I've, you know, obviously I've have, I'm beauty aware and I've been in the industry for some time. But for me, you know, obviously you, you set up a team of carers and medical staff to be part of your care team. And one of those was a naturopath for me and so um, she has held my hand through a lot of internal um solutions so lots of supplements and and even just shifting some of the things that I was doing with my diet so I start my day every day with a green smoothie and 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 that was just to um, swap out cereal but in effect it's been fabulous for my skin green smoothie is fabulous for your skin every day um, and just other little su- supplements and things that she that she has me on but I guess that's the greatest shift for me in terms of inner health, which is then radiates, I guess, in, in, in external beauty.
0: And I think that reflects a changing movement in the industry as well, that beauty is not just the topical things we apply. It's really about the whole kind of holistic approach of treating our body inside and out.
1: Correct. I'm seeing a lot of that now. A lot of, There are a lot of new brands and products on the market that are concentrating on inner health, so a lot of collagen powders and a lot of um, probiotic mixes as well that they're starting to sell within that beauty aisle which is really interesting and a lot of supplements that are coming about so that there's a it's a a really positive shift
0: you talked a bit before about obviously your first signature scent being the body shop's white musk perfume and when it comes to (laughs) when it comes to another fragrance that you have memories about I think you don't particularly have a specific fragrance but that you do have some scents that are special to you so tell me about those
1: yeah right I don't have a particular I, I had to think about that because I don't have a a particular perfume that I could pinpoint as something that holds a special memory but it was those those scents so I tend to gravitate towards woody oriental aromatics more than I do floral and I guess that's shaped by those you know, those comforting experiences growing up. So I know this sounds completely random, but I love the sound of lawnmowers and I love the smell of cut grass. And I think that is just a reflection on it's the weekend and it's relaxing time. And it's that beautiful, fresh, invigorating fragrance. I don't know. I love the smell of an open fire because my nan used to have her fire roaring in the winter and we would sit beside it. We'd listen to the footy on the radio. We'd eat biscuits. She'd knit. So the woody smoke always makes me feel safe. So that's they're those memories that are complemented by those scents at the time that have you know those warm sort of tones attached to them um one of my favorite smells actually now that I'm thinking of it and I can never pronounce it but it's an essential oil ylang ylang I think think it's pronounced that's one of my favourite. yeah I've always been pretty bad but anytime there's a a product or a candle with ylang ylang in it it always comes home with me but interestingly in all of this um, with fragrances with all of the products that I've ever created I've never used warm tones as the top note I've always had those uplifting invigorating sort of citrus notes and I and then I use those warm base notes like a lavender or vanilla and I think that's more driven not so much by by what I want to see but more what the mass customer likes they tend to like those sort of invigorating fresh scents in bathrooms so yeah, I don't tend to create product for myself, which really I need to take a good <laughs> hard look at myself.
0: <laughs> I need to be a little you bit more can, self-indulgent. Yeah, you can to make what you want as well.
1: <laughs> but funnily enough, I was um when we talk about perfume, sorry I know I keep going on, but you've just opened the floodgates, in my um, mid-20s, I would use a lure by Chanel, which was really expensive at the time. It probably still is an expensive um, you know brand under their portfolio but I loved that fragrance I don't know if I'd wear it now it was really strong it was one of those fragrances that you'd walk into a room people like oh you smell great but I think I just bathed in it probably a bit too much.
0: (laughs) No I really love your approach to it because when you isolating those particular smells of course that's what perfume aims to do as well to bring those memories together so I love for you that it's really kind of those raw original smells that are so evocative and even when you were describing you know sitting with your nan eating biscuits listening to the footy on the radio paints this really cool picture for us it's amazing the power of scent how it can transport us yes. I always think
1: mm. yeah, it's fabulous isn't it
0: now you sold Sukin in 2015 and we are now in yeah. 2020. So there was a few years when you were, I suppose, working on other things before launching Alkira Skincare, which has launched this year, which is incredibly yeah. exciting. Congratulations. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you. It's
0: um, obviously an Australian and as we've come to expect when we talk about the morals and values that you really like in skincare, which is vegan-friendly and cruelty-free, natural, um, with a focus on native ingredients as well. What gap on the beauty shelf did you really want Alkira to fill for people?
1: Well, so it, it, it's, it's a similar brand to Sukin, as you say, in that we have those, the, the same sort of values in that we're a vegan brand, a cruelty-free brand, we're a carbon neutral brand again. But just as we were leaving Sukin, a lot of our ingredient suppliers started to present to us these Australian natives that were really interesting and we hadn't worked with them before. I mean, we'd worked with things like Kakadu plum and lemon myrtle with the very obvious Australian extracts. But there were other ones like Inu apple, Davison plum, kangaroo paw that... I just, that just sounded very interesting. And so um, that became a bit of a project to have a look at what was happening. And so uh, what we saw in our market was that nobody else was using them in, in, in facial skincare products and nobody else was exploring the, the breadth of Australian native extracts. And so that's something that we wanted to um to to design a product around because i'm a big believer that you know staying in your lane and so simon's and mine our lane is in natural skincare and australian natural skincare and so we've also got export opportunities of which will have will are working really well with those australian natives so particularly the asian market are really receptive to australian native extracts. so it just seemed to be a good fit for us an interesting fit for us
0: and obviously you know, launching Sukin in 2007 and Alkira in 2020, the beauty industry has changed dramatically. What do you think is the biggest difference launching a brand now? I suppose p- pandemic aside, <laughs> as to what's happened.
1: <sighs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, funnily enough, we've launched Alkira in the throes of a pandemic, which certainly wasn't planned. But, you know, obviously life likes to throw me challenges. But there's, there's quite a bit that's changed. So obviously at the start when we launched Skin, we talked about this before, the naturals category didn't exist. And so that was us really creating a category more so. Um in terms of how we talk to the customer, it's a lot different. So, uh, back in the early days of Suki, we certainly had Facebook, but there were no other sort of um, means of talking to customers. So, Instagram didn't exist, and certainly not TikTok and anything else that people are using now. So, there's a lot more direct to consumer, quick and fast conversation that you're having now. And, uh, you know I mean I'm going to say it's a lot more transparent but in saying that so was Facebook Facebook was a very transparent um, social media platform as well but it just seems to be a lot more instant now and what I've seen in the um, the industry there just seem to be a lot more brands that come onto the market a lot of quick brands and they tend to be driven by social um, what do we call them influences there are a lot of influences that will bring out their own brands with a wide network of followers like your Kylie Jenner's, which, you know, is is clever. You know, if you've got this billboard of millions of people, why not bring product out for them? We we have had to pivot our strategy quite quickly with COVID. So rather than being a bricks and water brand at the moment, which will, we, we will be later on in the year, but at the moment we're having to do a lot more online work. So with those social media media channels. So it's a little bit different, but you adapt. You pivot your strategy and you adapt and that's what we're doing and surprisingly the brand's doing really well online i think everybody's sitting at home and bored and buying
0: we're all investing a lot more time in our skincare i think in this time for sure
1: that's right i am too I'm actually I'm masking more than I have ever masked so I would typically I can be quite lazy with skincare I know that sounds crazy but I can mask probably once every couple of weeks but in isolation I found myself doing it every oh probably twice a week maybe boredom maybe my skin my skin was playing up at the start of isolation I guess that was just stress and all the rest but you yeah, know I found myself masking more.
0: it's a treat and it always feels like you're doing something as well which I think makes a difference
1: that's right you're ticking off some sort of (laughs) to-do list in isolation
0: even if it's a mask
1: (laughs) oh goodness I had three children at, at home during isolation so I needed a bit of pampering time
0: absolutely absolutely with Alkira there's a few different ranges based on kind of the results that you're after tell me through tell me if there is a particular product uh, that you love in your routine or a stand-up product that you're really excited about at the moment from the range?
1: That's right. There's a few. Um, there's, a, I think we've got five different ranges, but the range that I sort of gravitate towards because I have more mature skin is the Brightening range, which is a vitamin C and antioxidant-rich range. So the key sort of native call-outs there are Kakadu Plum, a Kwandong and Finger Lime Caviar, so the vitamin C-rich um, products which are great for my skin. So we've got a couple of products in there that I use all the time. And that of course is the vitamin C plus facial oil. And that contains um, rosehip and kakadu plum as the key ingredient call outs. And then it's got 12 other plant and nut oils in there as well. So I use that every night. And then the other product that I follow that up with is called our antioxidant night cream, which of all the products that I've ever created, it's probably my favorite. It's like this really creamy, buttery, uh, rich, night cream that's got those vitamin C products but it's also got pomegranate and acai, it's got turmeric, it's got carrot, it's got um, nourishing butters. It's just this really beautiful decadent cream that I finish off my routine with at night. So they're they're my two favourite products that I've probably created um, in my whole career.
0: And as we mentioned obviously um, COVID-19 has thrown a bit of an unexpected spanner in the works in terms of Maybe not something you were anticipating when you were launching, but in terms of kind of your your goals for Alkira, what are you really striving for? Or what are you? What would you love to achieve with the brand?
1: Well, I guess similar to Sukin, what I'd like to see with Australian brands in general, but with with our skincare brands, I'd like to take them to export because I think we've just got such a great story to tell in Australia, and when it comes to the you know people from overseas and their um. Perception of what Australia is it's this clean green environment and I think brands here not only in skincare but in lifestyle products and in apparel we can be leaders in that sustainable and natural space so I'm a big advocate for that so I think Australia can own the sustainable green lifestyle so for up here it's really just another product that we're launching to um, to spread the word and I, and I think that's probably the best way to describe that it's just a, it's just another brand to um, highlight highlight those uh, those sustainable natural products
0: the fifth product on your list is one that you would trust with your life which for you is the Shantikai mascara so tell me about why this one is so good
1: Well, I just just mascaras in general I, I tend to use. So even if I'm up exercising really early in the morning and no one I'm not expecting to run into anyone, I always put a lick of mascara on. And I think that's just more I feel more awake. I feel if I did bump into somebody, I wouldn't look like I was half asleep. So for me mascara is something that I always have on. Even if I'm going for a swim, which sounds really strange. So you know, in saying that the Shantakai um, mascara is just one that I'm using at the moment, it's not so much that I'm I'm um, gravitating towards that brand. It's just mascaras in general and my, it's the one product that I, if I was stuck on a desert island, I would have a mascara.
0: <laughs> good to know. You may have preempted a final question that I will ask there, so it's good to know that you're prepared.
1: <laughs> are you taking me to an island? I'm going to be stuck on an island. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Obviously you have spent well over a decade working with your brother Simon. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is the secret to that has made yours such a successful working relationship? What strengths do you complement each other or or oh. what do you what's the secret behind your partnership?
1: We have very specific and different skills and we respect each other for the skills that we bring to the table. So Simon's very much around branding, um, the look of the product, the sales and the marketing component. Um, For me, I gravitate more towards product development operational finance so we've just got very sort of different skill sets and um, he sits on one side of the office and I sit on the other side of the office and we wave to each other but we don't have a lot to do with each other (laughs) maybe that's the key (laughs) but no it's really just about being able to respect what He brings to the business and what I bring to the business and we can certainly have our opinions, but at the end of the day, he signs off on what he does and I sign off on what I do. And also outside of business, he's we just get along really well. You know, we're very close. And so that obviously helps. But no, I don't want to be stuck on a desert island with him if that's what you were thinking. Like no, no. no, this will, be, this will be all your
0: islands. <laughs> the next product on your list is, I think, a bit of a new discovery for you, which are native deodorants. So tell me about, about how that's going.
1: Well, so it was a recent discovery for me. So... Not that long ago, I succumbed to an Instagram advert, and that was um, their natural deodorant. It's a it's a USA brand, I think it is, and it's called Native. And they have natural deodorants, and they use bicarb soda and magnesium as the um, as the um, that, that neutralises the odours rather than aluminium, which is which is what I look for. Obviously, having had breast cancer, I'm on, always on the lookout for natural deodorants. I've tried many. And, and and with anyone that's used natural deodorants that you know that there's a transition period when adopting natural deodorants because it takes a while to get used to the fact that you do have to sweat They don't have those aluminium blockers that stop the sweat so that takes a while to get used to and also a lot of them on the market or well, that I've used are almost like putties so you dip your finger into the putty and then you have to apply it under the arm and I just don't like that application process so Native have stick deodorants and they're like a powder deodorant um and they just work really well for me and i haven't cleared an elevator yet even after a gym session so yeah. i'm assuming that they work so and and because i've been in natural skincare for so many years and because you know people Most people know I've had breast cancer. I always get asked about natural deodorants, what natural deodorants I use. And so I've had to go through quite a few of them to finally land on one that I would definitely recommend native. It's a fabulous range and they have really great scents. They have, um, my favorite is cucumber and mint. They have a citrus flavor. They have um, coconut and vanilla. They have a charcoal and they do bar soaps as well that complement the same, that have the same fragrance mix. So it's a really lovely brand. I'm glad I found it. So I have them sent over from the States every so often and that's my that's my that's my discovery.
0: A great one because I know definitely, as you said, natural deodorants is a process finding one and even yes. like you were saying, you know, the different textures, it's it's like a behaviour change that we're used to compared to normal deodorants. Mm. So I'm yes. sure and, that was a fantastic one.
1: And it does take a lot to get used to in saying that if I do go out at night or if I do if I am wearing a silk blouse, I will put on Rexona because I don't want to sweat. But on my day to day, and even when I do go to the gym, I don't care if I sweat at the gym, I always wear the native.
0: And I love the idea of the lift test as well. That's that's when you know it's working, as you said. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's right.
0: We've talked a lot about beauty, both the kind of the products that you love, and also obviously beauty is is a large part of your career, what you do. But outside of those two things, what are some of your other passions? What like what does an ideal Sunday look like to you? How would you spend your dream Sunday?
1: In, in I'll tell you what. In isolation, my dream Sundays were waking up and going for a cold ocean swim. So that was one of my, that's been one of my favorite things to do. I think it's been really great for, for my mental well-being during isolation in particular. Um, so that's how I would spend most Sundays. I love to cook. You know, I've got I've got three children that always seem to be hungry, in particular when they were in isolation. They were just coming out of their room every two minutes looking for food. So I do a lot of cooking. Um, I go to the gym. I love Pilates. I read a lot. So they're probably my passions. And you know what? I love to travel. Travels. Something like this. <laughs> I love to travel, so you know I'm looking forward to hopping on a plane again. But there, you know, I mean, essentially, at the moment, and, and certainly when we had kin and now, you know, it's always that just constant balance and juggle of being a mum that works and a mum that needs to be attentive at home as well. So I sort of feel like I'm pulled in every direction. So my hobbies, my passions are so far down the list most days, but I try and make time.
0: And I think that's something a, a, real, a reality check that. Um, A lot of people can relate to particularly you know particularly when you're a mother and even just the the pools the pools of work in general I always think it's reassuring and and I hate I hate to ask that question of because you know it is typically a very gendered question of how you manage it all but I do think um there is something as long as Mm -hmm. we're asking both men and women about how they kind of juggle all the things that so many of us as as you kind of saying so many spinning plates so I think it is always reassuring for people to hear that you know it's not always getting to have a whole day to do however you want. The reality is very different.
1: Oh my goodness, no way. It's been a long time since I've been able to indulge myself in something that I've wanted to do. And I think that's part and parcel of having your own business as well. Like if I I, ever I sit down, I think, oh, there's just something I should be doing for work. And if I'm not doing something for work, then it's really something that I should be doing with the kids and you sort of put yourself right down the end of the list. And, and that's just the juggle. I think women in particular take on, you know, we tend to take on that load a lot more. And I think a lot of people, are, from what I've been reading on, on the news, a lot of people, a lot of women, sorry, have taken on that load a lot more during isolation. So it's just been, you know, it's always, it's a juggling act being a mum that works. It's a fulfilling thing to do. I think you've got to find a purpose and you've got to have your own um, your own per, your, your, your own thing, your own work, your own your own um, identity in amongst all of that.
0: And I suppose leading from that, when you look back on uh, your your life and career so far, I, I imagine that your perception and idea of what success means has changed a lot. So to you now, what do you define or view as being or feeling successful? What does success look like?
1: success for me is um getting up each day and still being here success for me is really just about being able to have to find the blessings and to be happy with what i've got you know i don't i don't need a lot of things material things in my life but as long as my family's healthy and happy and as long as i'm healthy and happy then that's success you know that's that's happiness so you know that's 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 how I measure success is just if I'm waking up each day and I'm happy to start that day and I'm grateful to start that day.
0: We have reached the final product on your list, which for you is either a great confidence boost or part of your signature look, which is um, another, I think, a, which is lipstick. And I think um, the is there a particular one from Shantikai that you like or is it lipstick in general?
1: I'm, when it comes to makeup, I tend to go for a natural look because I look like a beaten up dragon. If I try and do a full face of makeup, it just doesn't suit me. Kim Kardashian style, not not for me. But what I find, <laughs> she looks amazing, but it's not for me. But what I find is that I use um, lipsticks that tend to pop. And I think you can get away with lipsticks that pop if you have minimal makeup elsewhere and so the one that I have is the Shantikai. that's right and it's called Nirvana I think it's Nirvana and it's this um really vibrant raspberry colored pigment rich creamy lipstick it's one that I wear every day and and I get comments on it every day from other women They're like I love your lipstick it's just it's so vibrant and it really is it's a it's a great happy color yeah. And that's, yeah, I'm pretty minimalistic when it comes to makeup. I don't wear foundation. I I love it. I keep it so simple. I don't wear any foundation. If we go out for dinner at night, I might wear a tinted moisturizer. Um, I always have a little bit of eyeliner and mascara on and just a lipstick that pops and that's me. I just prefer to look natural, just because I can't get away with wearing lots of makeup. And I, and I'm a firm believer that you stay in your lane. And my lane is not makeup artistry at all. I've tried many times to put eyeshadow on, and it just doesn't work. I just can't get it, so I, I've stopped.
0: Alison, <laughs> you have talked us through the eight products that have kind of a special memory or meaning for you as I alluded to before now is the point where I ask you that as I send you off to Beauty Island which is the desert island where hopefully you might get some time to yourself to indulge in some of the hobbies that you love but if you could only take one of the products that you've talked about today with you which one would it be? And it doesn't have to be practical. It can be just for the memories or the way that it makes you feel or you can go practical if you'd prefer. And I give you um, endless amounts of sunscreens. You don't need to worry about that. But which product from your list will you be taking with you?
1: Oh, okay. Just the mascara, the mascara. And I know nobody is going to see me, but I will feel amazing every day if I just put a little bit of lick of mascara on. I feel like I could just tackle that desert island all by myself if I have alert looking eyes
0: no hesitation I love it
1: (laughs) no hesitation no hesitation the first thing I do
0: (laughs) it has been such a delight talking through your beauty memories and incredible journey and insights with you today Alison thank you so much for your time it's been so much fun
1: thank you so much for having me I've really enjoyed it
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Beauty Island with the brilliant Alison Goodyear. You can find where to follow her and of course a full list of all the products that she spoke about in today's episode in the show notes. If you fancy chatting more beauty you can find me on Instagram my personal beauty account is at Brittany Beauty BTS where I regularly share products I'm loving and talk about all aspects of beauty culture. You can also sign up to my regular beauty newsletter called It's Beauty for my beauty column, reviews and recommendations straight to your inbox. Thank you and until next time, bye bye.